Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Jordan Garber Now. Up next, we have two great interviews. Hope you enjoy them. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Jordan Garber Now. I am here with none other than Ballistic Brent Myers. Brent, how are you doing today, man? Hey, Jordan. How you doing? I am doing well myself, actually. That is great to hear. You know, I'm this virus has been spreading around the world and has been creating a big controversy and, you know, has closed down businesses and many, many services that people use every day. Um, how are you uh, going through this uh, tough situation right now, man? Well, you know, uh, it's a good question, man. It seems to be the, the, the big topic, right? Um, just, uh, I'm taking it day by day, to be honest with you. Um, uh, I'm still doing my workouts, my, my normal training routines, but I'm having to improvise and use what I have handy, you know, and use what I have available to me at the moment. Uh, but still doing what I can to stay in shape and encouraging others to do the same thing as well. Whatever you have, dumbbells, paint buckets, heavy bags, pick up a vacuum 15 times, whatever you got to do to remain in shape because that's what I'm doing. I'm all for it. And uh, as far as, uh, you know, work and generating income, I am doing pretty much what a lot of people are doing, uh, working online, working by electronic you know, pushing merchandise online, you know, uh, photos of the, the BBM, uh, you know, selling 8x10s, 4x6s, that kind of thing, uh, as well, making uh, personalized training clips for uh, clients, fans, uh, relating to self-defense, pro wrestling, MMA, uh, even birthday shout-outs and things of that nature, just, just to, you know, keep a little cash flow going, I charge you know, just small fees, 20, 25 bucks, stuff like that, just to, you know, supplement for all these major losses that I'm, that I'm taking. Absolutely, and there is a big show coming up here, it is a big benefit show, taking place by the NCWO, and if it isn't unable to take place here in the coming future, it's going to be taking place in July, uh, and the, it's hosted there by uh, McAllister Two Feather, can you tell us more about that? Okay, uh, the NCWO show is uh, promoted by a guy named uh, uh, Mr. Bedford. He is a police officer with the McAllister uh, Police Department in Oklahoma. Um, he was a professional wrestler at one time known as Two Feather. Um, great guy, uh, in phenomenal shape still to this day. Um, he belongs to the FOP Police Lodge 97, and they have taken on a huge responsibility of sponsoring this upcoming NCWO show, Up in Glory. Um, it's it's for a very special cause. I have been contacted by him personally uh, as he received a reference from a promoter with the WWO in Missouri saying that they should bring Brent out, the BBM, uh, because he's done other big charities and stuff like that before and he would he would be all for it and, and I am um, the show we have coming up uh, it's very sad to say very heartbreaking uh, it's for a little girl who's got less than one year to live she's nine years old and uh, she's in very bad shape and uh, um, you know we're just praying that um, you know she gets to to feel a little bit better before you know things take take the uh the down uh, downfall here, and um, I, I just uh, I'm I'm excited to be a part of the show, but on the other hand, very saddened, like I say, and 
I'm going to put on the best show I can for her and all her little friends and everybody that, you know, is in attendance. And uh, uh, just, you know, my, my heart goes out to the family. Absolutely. Uh, my heart and uh, thoughts and prayers uh, do go out to her and her family as well. And uh, everyone, be sure to check out that event and be sure to spread the word as well. Um, because every... Go ahead, sir. May, thir- May, May 30th in McAllister, Oklahoma, NCWO, up, up in glory. And I want everybody to know right now that this show is not about us, the talent. This time, it is completely about this little girl. Uh, if you want more information on that, uh, Jordan, as you know, you can get, take a look at my Facebook or Instagram or anything like that, any social media. The flyers are up. Very nice flyers, by the way. Um You'll see NCWO show, two different flyers, one with the story behind this little girl and one with all the talent down there. And uh, I'm looking forward to this in one hand and then the other. Like I said, very heartbroken. Absolutely. And uh, once again, uh, thoughts and prayers, and I encourage the uh, world listening to uh, certainly do the same. Uh, In more positive topics and more positive news, um, you've been doing a self-defense seminar for quite a while. It's called the BBM Self-Defense Seminar with the Evolve Fitness Group in the Midwest. Can you tell the world more about that? Yes, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I see you've been doing your homework. (laughs) Um, Evolve Fitness is a... They are a small fitness chain, but they are definitely evolving. Evolve is evolving. <laughs> uh, I like how that sounds. <laughs> yeah, so do I. <laughs> yeah, they, they are taking off. They have six locations throughout the Midwest, uh, Chicagoland suburbs. Uh, they're a very nice, very nice group. Uh, they have taken on the responsibility of sponsoring myself individually for professional wrestling events, MMA events, as well booking me for self-defense and fitness seminars, autograph signings. We had a bunch of that stuff lined up for this past March. Unfortunately, because of this out-of-control virus, I'm facing cancellations with that as well. Um, However, we will be back in full swing, hopefully, in May or June, something to that effect. And uh, for right now, uh, you know, check them out. Of all fitness... uh, on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and uh, maybe they'll even throw a little fitness advice your way if if you contact them. But uh, at least check them out and see what they're about in case you happen to be in the Midwest. Whether you live in Canada or you live in Hong Kong, it really doesn't matter because everybody travels these days, right? As soon as things are back to normal and you happen to be in the Midwest, check out of all fitness and tell them the BBM sent you there. So, like, you're from Illinois, and you're traveling to Missouri, you're traveling to Oklahoma, you're traveling all across, you uh, wrestled in Nevada before as well. You know, I definitely recall having some stories on the road, especially in Wisconsin. And, you know, do you have any road stories for the fans that you'd like to share with the um, audience at this time? Uh, let's see, let's see. Um... I have one, uh, let's see, I was traveling with, I, I won't say a, a name right now, but I was traveling with a guy out of Harley Race's training facility, and, uh, you know, I, I don't mean to be a downer here, but, you know, there's there's some guys that tend to get jealous of others, right? Not yeah. only in this business, but in general. I had a guy 
who had no idea that I was getting ready to perform against him in the main event for the heavyweight championship. And he was all friendly, buddy, buddy <laughs> for the first portion of the trip. As we got closer to the venue, he opens up his laptop. I think he's seen the poster. Maybe he didn't see it before. I don't know why he didn't, but he figures out that he's up against me in the main event. Now, something tells me I think he wanted to keep me low on the totem pole. He wanted to keep me maybe in an opening match or, you know, some kind of curtain jerker, but that wasn't the case. And uh, we get out of the car. We stop. I think it was to grab something to eat, something like that. And boy, he was hot. He was mad. And I think I made him even a lot more angry when I smirked at him the whole time. His ears were turning bright red. And I don't think he'll ever forget that. Fast forward. He tried to uh, take liberties on uh, me in the ring. You know, that's not going to work out too well for him. <laughs> I give great receipts, by the way. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I learned the lesson yeah. about receipts on the Northern Death Tour. That's for sure. There was a guy that was a little too cocky. And he was announcing wrestlers' weights at the wrong uh, weight category. And uh, he got a receipt in the ring. He uh, called the biggest veteran there, 26-year vet, 500 pounds, uh, massive damage who was on the show. And he uh, chopped the crap out of him in the ring. It was uh, it was pretty crazy, like 20 times. That was a receipt. That, that <laughs> kind of stuff happens. It's unprofessional. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, fast forward, the end of this, he got reamed out. By others, I didn't even have to do too much other than what I did in the ring. I should say the I ring announcing was unprofessional because my actions spoke louder than words, and uh, I, I have no regret. If I was in the ring with him again, I'd do a lot worse. Only, only because someone like that needs a lesson. Otherwise, you know, that's not how I roll in the ring. But uh, it's. That's uh, that's one of my, I guess you could say, rougher stories on the road. Um, <laughs> I've had I've had some other crazy wild ones as well. You know, uh, stuff as uh, such as uh, traveling with uh, Dan the Beast Severn. Oh wow, that's big. He tells me, okay, buddy, we're gonna split the drive from Michigan to Connecticut to the next night, Pennsylvania. We had a show and then a seminar, a professional wrestling show and a mixed martial arts seminar. Almost all the way there, I drive. Almost all the way back, I drive. <laughs> it was something else. But, you know, I've had that happen with, with others in the business as well traveling from Las Vegas to California. In the beginning, they tell you, we're going to split the drive time, and I'm the one driving. <laughs> <laughs> but they, that happens sometimes. It's just kind of funny thinking back, you know. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, and another thing with, with that specific tri uh, trip there, uh, Mr. Dan, to be seven there, he is – quite the gentleman when he wants to be <laughs> he uh he opened the hotel room up 
to another wrestler in the business and uh, who did not have a hotel booked for him. The promoter booked our hotel, but you know, the, another guy did not have one. So he was real kind and opened the door to him and said, Hey, uh, you know, uh, either split the other side of the bed or, you know, we'll make a pellet for you on the, on the floor, whatever we need to do here to make it work. And I thought that was pretty cool because I don't see too many people in the business do that anymore. No, definitely. You don't see a lot of that nowadays. And tell the world about the uh, individual talent sponsorship that you have in effect here. Uh, that's another good one. You're, you're hitting all the, the good bullet points here, uh, Jordan. I do my uh, homework, brother. <laughs> um, you know, if anybody is interested in sponsoring me, you own a business. It doesn't matter where it is on this planet. You own a business. You, you want the, the word to get out. The BBM is here to help you. Whether it's a professional wrestling event, an MMA event, a self-defense seminar, anything that I'm involved with, I'm willing to promote your place of business on my clothing, on my ring gear, uh, at a merchandise table, mention you on a podcast just like this, an FM or AM radio show that I'm interviewed on, uh, anything TV-related I do, um, you name it. I'm willing to do it in turn for sponsorship. I've been sponsored several times through the years, anything ranging from 20 bucks to $1,500. Um, I've got all different amounts, so there's no set fee on what you know you, you can uh, sponsor me with. Uh, it does come in handy because, as we all know in this business, the promoters, when they pay good, they pay good. And when they don't, they don't. So you can't always uh, hold your breath on what a promoter is going to pay you. That's the dark side of the business. So sponsors do come in handy for these events. Oh, definitely. Uh, I'm so very grateful for some of our sponsors like Real Aid Media, Turnbuckle Summits, and some of the car dealerships here that we work with in Winnipeg in terms of how people get the best rate on their vehicle. As well, um, tell us about your experience here with Cody Hawk, the trainer of Dean Ambrose, and FGW Ohio. That must have been a great experience for yourself, am I right? Yes, uh, I love working uh, with FGW. Cody Hawk's a great guy. He was also a uh, guest trainer at the WWE Performance Center, uh, I, I believe at least a couple times, maybe more. Um, uh, he's, he's really good at what he does, training-wise and in-ring work. Um, great performer. Um, I've got nothing but good things to say about the man. Uh, we click real well. He... Um, he uh, has brought me in maybe he had to bring me in at least three three or four times or more uh, on, on his shows in Hamilton, Ohio. They got a great great thing going on there. Weekly show, actually. Every Friday night. It's called Friday Night Fury. Um, as soon as this whole virus crisis is uh, gone with the wind, uh, I anticipate going back. Wow, that's really exciting as well. And uh, World Wrestling Organization, tell us about your experience there winning the strap and being the WWO World Heavyweight Champion there down in Missouri. Man, you're on a roll here, Jordan. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, that was a great accomplishment. Uh, very, very pleased with that. I was honored to be brought into the organization, period, but let alone to get a title shot and have captured the belt and I'm not sure which one it was I, I kind of forget now 
uh, no pun intended, but one of the Hebner ref, uh, brothers that were refs for WWF in the back in the day. Yeah, one of them had re- had awarded me the title that night. Wow. Um, I did a singles match and then I came back out and I worked a uh, battle royal. Um, captured the the belt in um, Joplin, Missouri, and the show. We were paid very well at that show, by the way, by promoter George Zabel, who used to be the Hungarian kid back in the day. I heard of him, but, actually. Uh, yeah, I heard of him. Yeah, and um, he took great care of all of us guys. And uh, from paydays to, to food, he took real good care of us. But uh, um, also, a portion of the proceeds had went to the Joplin, Missouri Fire Department because they were hit by a terrible disaster. They had a tornado rip through there, and they were just going through a heck of a time. So I was glad yes. to be involved in something that's supporting the fire department and the community there. And they end up uh, becoming a much bigger deal um, for all of us. Uh, we, we were putting the, the newspaper, uh, several different newspapers throughout Missouri, uh, the Ozark County Times being one of them, I think the Penny Saver, just just several of them. Um, and I could not believe that every one of those articles, I was on the front page and the back pages. And just uh, the the media really gave me a push. Um, I was honored to be a, a part of that. Well, that's one thing that we do have in common is that we have both reached the press. And congratu- uh, speaking of press, that leads me to my next question is when you're with, uh, you're being an extra, being used as an extra in World Wrestling Entertainment, the highest you can go. So, uh, you did that, you know, a few years ago in 2019 and 2010, and you were on the CM Punk and Jerry the King Lawler segment as well. Um, discuss the, uh, experience of being a WWE extra, uh, the work it takes and some of your favorite spots... And uh, tell us about your uh, altercation as well. It's a loaded question, but tell us as well your altercation with Ronda Rousey. Uh, tell the world about that. Another good one, uh, Jordan. Um, well, working on call or, or extra talent, as they say, with the uh, WWE, um, it's been a phenomenal experience. I have been doing so since about 2012. Um, it, at a minimum, getting booked uh, two times a year. Um, lately in the last two or three years, I've been getting booked up to five times a year, something to that effect. And, uh, which is a big deal when you're on an on-call basis like that to be getting booked more than once a year. Some people don't know that, but I do, (laughs) um, you know, uh, just a lot of different experiences, not so many, uh, experiences involving matches for some reason. They, they seem to tell me that I have you know, a good face for TV and things like that. When I've talked to, uh, producers or agents and stuff, uh, but they, either, anything they throw my way, I, I am just thankful for. Um, and actually by being involved in these, um, TV segments, um, there's still a lot of physicality there. Um, and it, it's, it's really good because if I decided to take a movie or a film route full-time in the future or something, I have that primetime TV experience under my belt. Um, I had a, uh, well, as you mentioned, um, a, uh, a TV segment on, on more than one occasion with Ronda Rousey, once where I came in as a guest official for the night. And uh, I was sent out there to gain control, obviously, that didn't happen, but I gave it a whirl, did what I could, and she let me have it. <laughs> um, 
same thing with the, when they brought me in as a bodyguard type of role uh, for the night. They had me go out there just to secure her and to control her and uh, once again. And she went totally ballistic. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I can only do so much, right? Well, but, you, uh, you certainly paid the price, that's for sure. And uh, tell us about, uh, last question here before we get to your social media and plugs and where people can follow you on the daily Tell us about your experience in UPW there in Houston, Texas. Uh, I had fun with that promotion, I can admit. Uh, um, you know, they uh, they run uh, maybe, uh, I think, probably about two shows a month, three shows a month, something like that. I did a few shows for them. Uh, um, pretty packed shows, pretty, pretty quality shows. Um, uh, it was different. Uh, I had never worked in the uh, Texas area or Houston area, any of that uh, before at all. I had some leads in the past, and then it just never really happened. At this time, it did happen. Uh, I had a match with a guy named uh, Nate Slater um, for the heavyweight championship. Uh, that didn't work out to my advantage, but uh, I still gave him uh, quite the wrestling lesson. <laughs> um you know, I, I put up quite a defense in that match, um, and the, the fans were into it from start to finish, and that's what's important. Um, and also with that promotion, we we did some really cool stuff. We uh, we did an appearance at a children's hospital, Shriners Children's Hospital in Galveston on Galveston Island. There, um, we went and visited the burn unit. And uh, they provided us with a nice locker room, and we uh, we geared up like we would for a show. Right on. Actually, uh, actually, a few hours before we had a show, and uh, they did a you know almost like we do our normal in ring introduction, and uh, we did that kind of thing as they all sat at tables. Uh, you know, some guys did like this little skit type of thing, and uh, and then we signed autographs, uh, sat at the tables, played games like Connect Four, and so on, and interact a bit and just uh, it's a very nice thing but sad at the same time yeah definitely you know and you know what that's the important thing is about that experience because that experience is so important to these kids you know they are fighting for their lives and any support is truly truly valuable to them and for them to meet their heroes is something so meaningful so uh, for you to do that is definitely uh, something that is definitely beneficial and God bless you for that my man uh, where can people follow you on social media? Uh, you can look me up on Facebook for starters under my legal name, Brent Brooks, but in quotations, the ballistic Brent Myers, you'll see. Uh, as well, Instagram under crowdpleaser2525. And, uh, you know, and or you could send me a direct email at starpowerbbm2020 at gmail.com. You want to sponsor me, you want to follow me to check out various events that I'm involved in, whether it's WWE or independent show. Uh, if you want to find out where the next self-defense seminar is that I'm hosting, a speaking engagement, uh, appearance, you name it. Uh, just uh, check it out on Facebook, Instagram, or email me direct, as I said, and uh, we can stem from there. Right on. Well, Mr. Myers, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, thank you, BBM. You take care. Thank you. We're here with the neighborhood dog. How are you? Thank you. 
Welcome to Jordan Garber Now here. We have another great episode here with none other than Mike, Michael Modest. Michael, how are you doing today? Great to hear from you. Fantastic, man. Thanks for having me on, Jordan. Awesome. Well, you know, you definitely had a great career here. You started out all in uh, APW, all, um, all pro wrestling, with by the likes of Roland Alexander. I was actually Roland's last interview, and it was a pleasure to interview him and just hear about the history of all pro wrestling. What are some of your memories just starting out in all pro wrestling and evolving from there? Well, actually, let me let me uh, go back a little further than that. So I originally started with Pacific Coast Championship Wrestling, and that was run by Jerry Monty. And Jerry Monty was a uh, WWE guy, um, you know, a, an enhancement talent. Back then we called them jobbers. Now everybody's got touchy-feely, uh, you know, politically correct kind of stuff. I actually prefer the term jobber. I think it's a better term um, than enhancement talent. Enhancement talent sounds like something anybody can do. Uh, you know, it, it takes a talent to be a jobber, and you got to know how to jump. you got to know how to you know, take your bumps. Uh, you got to know how to sell. Uh, you know, these are all journeyman things that we learn as a pro wrestler. So my first uh, trainer was actually Jerry Monty, And uh, Jerry was not so much a wrestler as he was an entertainer. He had like little shticks that he would do. And uh, so Jerry's idea of training was he'd kind of let us just go in the ring and we'd do our thing and he'd go in and watch football and every once in a while he'd come out and hang out for a half an hour and kind of give us some pointers and stuff and then let us kind of do our thing. And it was, it was pretty lackadaisical. It wasn't very uh, uh, sports-oriented type of uh, training. And um, then uh, Jerry started booking uh, guys like uh, Playboy Buddy Rose and uh, a guy named uh, Rick Thompson. And Rick Thompson is the one who really trained me. He was he was a uh, uh, all state wrestler from from Texas, and uh, he had wrestled with Roy Shires and stuff. And and so Rick's the one that really trained me, and he trained me with uh, more amateur that I had learned from in high school. He he started with that, and and then he really honed me more on my amateur before he really even let me start you know bumping again, and. Uh, so then, um, Jerry had actually... Are you still there, Jordan? Yes, sir. I'm sorry, man. I, I have a tendency to just kind of blabber. But uh, so Roland actually was booked, and it was... Um, I think it was Ed Moretti. It was Moondog Ed Moretti versus uh, Playboy Buddy Rose. And Roland was friends with Buddy, and Buddy had invited Roland to, to, to the show. And this was... We were traveling from Hayward up to Crescent City which is pretty near the Oregon border. And uh, so Roland rented a van. Uh, a few of the boys we pitched in, and we all took took the ride up with Roland, Rick, and there was a few of us. And, and uh, we got up there, and then uh, Jerry basically informed Roland that uh, he wasn't going to be able to work as a manager unless he paid to go to the school, at Jerry's okay. school. And... Roland was fucking livid. He was so pissed off because he had rented this van. He had he had, had this really nice jacket, like a fur fur coat that he had he had brought. It was a long fur coat, and he was ready to be Buddy's manager. And Roland was smart to the business. He had he had babysitted the Rock, uh, you know, uh, Rocky Johnson when when he was a kid, Dwayne Johnson, 
um, you know, uh, his dad had Roland babysitting for him and stuff. So Roland was smart to the business. He knew a lot of the guys. He had trained a little bit here and there, um, but he certainly knew enough to be a manager, you know, and uh, knew how to throw a work punch and all that shit. And uh, even even could take some real easy, you know, bumps. You know, at, at the time, Roland was a lot younger. And uh, but Jerry basically said, "Hey, man, yeah, if you uh, you can't manage tonight, but if you join the school, I'll let you manage, buddy. Eventually, in the future, when you get some training under your belt." So Roland was pissed. You know, he's known Jerry for fucking thirty years. He he even sold sold these guys party enhancements and stuff back in the day. You know, so. <laughs> Roland was mad, and, and that basically was the start of APW. On the way back, because um, Roland stayed for the show, and, and I worked the show, and, uh, you know, Rick Thompson worked, and, and then uh, on the way back, we stopped for breakfast, and uh, I remember Roland saying, that's it, fuck him. I'm going to start my own fucking company, and I'm going to put him out of fucking business. And then that was uh, the story from there on of APW, I guess. Yep. That was the start of APW. I think prior to that as well, you you wrestled, you know, UWA, um, CMLL, you know, some international uh, promotions. You know, that early in your career, going to CMLL and performing lucha-style wrestling in the 90s compared to now, was there a difference in that product compared to, let's say, the WWE now, or is it still kind of the same as it was in the 90s, the product today? You know, man, I I, I see... uh, I actually like the wrestling more that's going on now because once WWE opened their doors to guys like uh, Matt Heisen, uh, Crash Holly, of course, uh, Daniel Bryan, once they opened the doors to those kinds of guys and, and started actually pushing them, and uh, they, the wrestling in the company got better. The wrestling just in general got better and and what i'm seeing now like it's it's so awesome i i wish it was like this when i was you know really pursuing a career in this industry because you've got roh aew major league wrestling championship wrestling from hollywood um there's so much impact tna uh i i i don't even want to miss anybody right now because it's it's so hot right now um it's good for all the boys and, and I just see a lot more wrestling. I've, I've really been watching a lot of championship wrestling from Hollywood. Um, it's an NWA product and uh, run by David Marquez. And I, I've been watching a lot of that lately. And, and I, just see, I just see how old is new again. And when I, when I started training, that was the first thing I started doing was I'd look and in, enroll in, in Rick's old tapes. They had a, a lot of old wrestling tapes and stuff. Roland had been recording stuff from Japan. And then every student that came would kind of add to that collection, you know. And so I would watch old stuff with Dick Murdoch. I, I still use a cell that I, I saw Dick Murdoch use. Someone, it was uh, Bob Armstrong. Bob Armstrong, Bullet Bob. Good the, friend of mine. Start of the match. Dick takes Bob back to the corner, gives him one punch, boom, you know, the referee admonishes him and stuff. Bob's pissed. They, they lock up again. Uh, this time Bob takes Dick back and Dick switches it on him. And uh, when Bob's going to give the clean break, Dick grabs him, switches it, boom, hits him again. Referee's on Dick about it. Bob's pissed. You know, he's telling the referee, we should disqualify the guy. He's punched me twice, you know. And uh, so then 
Dick does the same thing, takes him to the corner, goes for one more punch. Bob ducks it, gives him one good fucking shot. And and Dick Murdoch sold it like a professional boxer. He just, he crumbled at the knees. He didn't take a wrestling bump, you know, like a, a nice schoolboy bump. He, he just crumbled at the knees and then kind of picked his face up and looked at his manager like, what the hell just happened? Then he rolls out of the ring and he checks the inside of his cheek. And then looks at his finger because he's looking for blood. Yeah. And he does it again, and then he then he wiggles his tooth, and he looks at his fingers again because he's checking for blood, you know. And then the then the manager's kind of got his finger up, like, "Hey, look at my finger. How many fingers am I holding up?" And it was this fantastic sell over one punch. And I'm not kidding you. He sold it for a, a good solid minute and a half. They they put it over like like Bob Armstrong was Muhammad Ali, and even when even when Dick got back in the ring, he was froggy from it. You know, everything he did from that point, you could tell that the reason Bob was getting the upper hand on him was because he was still loopy from the one good shot that Bob gave him. You know, so it's like uh, that's the kind of stuff that I, I love about professional wrestling. And, you know, when I see that kind of stuff in today's uh, product, it, it really gets me going and that's the kind of stuff i see from championship wrestling hollywood yo that's a great product absolutely and i think that with the wrestling right now with the number of reputable promotions out there that just means that there's more work for referees and workers and i i think overall that's a great thing for our industry because if there's more work for our workers there's more content for fans to watch and i feel that uh right 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 now, it's the hottest time to watch wrestling. You can watch all the old stuff on the network, and you can watch all the new stuff. You pretty much have access to 85% of everything. So it's pretty crazy. Right. It right. And, then, and, then you, and then you've even got, like, YouTube and stuff like that to research old old wrestlers. You know, if you, if you wanted to kind of fashion yourself after somebody, you, it's easy to do now. It most certainly is. Now, talk about uh, WCW in the later stages. Now, this was 2001, uh, the year the company folded, where you worked the match with Christopher Daniels on Nitro. Now, this was a really good match. I loved the match. Ended in a no contest, I believe, but I, I thought that it was a great chemistry and a great dynamic. However, what was WCW like? I know you're just an uh, enhancement talent, but... Was there anything different in the locker room during the later stages that you'll always remember, or was it just like a normal locker room for a major league promotion? Um, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of guys uh, bickering and stuff. Um, so originally, I was brought in by Kevin Sullivan, and this was this was uh, gosh months before Bischoff and Russo came back to WCW, and then they brought uh, Chris and I in. But uh, originally, Kevin Sullivan and Bob Mould had brought me in. And uh, I had a tryout match against Elix Skipper, which it debuted, I think, on Thunder. And, man, I've been trying to find that match, and I, I can't find it and, and haven't seen it on YouTube or anything. But it was a fantastic match. It was, it was a near-perfect match. There was only one bump that I took that was kind of crappy. And so, like, I, I, I haven't really had a perfect match yet. I can always find something that I fuck up. Um, but it was a near-perfect match. And uh, Elix was spot on the money. He was amazing. He was perfect. I wasn't. But uh, I, I went over in the match. And 
after the match, um, Arne Anderson had watched it. Um, JJ Dillon had watched it live. He actually walked out and watched it. Uh, just, a uh, Mike Graham, Terry Taylor, uh, Ric Flair, a lot of the who's who of wrestling had, had watched my tryout match because Kevin had kind of built me up to be this, like, this, like wrestler, um, you know, kind of throwback as a wrestler. And, uh, so they, they all watched, um, as I walked through the curtain back from the tryout, Arn Anderson was there and he said, Mike Modest, good job. And I was like, wow, thank you, Arn. You know, I was very eager and, and to have Arn Anderson say fucking anything to you is huge because he's not the, the friendliest guy. If you don't know him, he's, he's not an ass kisser for sure. Um, you know, he's a man of few words. So for him to say anything was, was pretty huge. And, uh, then I went and talked to Bob Mould, um, talked to JJ Dillon. JJ Dillon was excited to have me on. And at the time, JJ Dillon was actually working in the office. So, uh, JJ, I had signed the contract and everything. I had sent it back to JJ and they were going to put me over on Prince Ikea, um, the artist, and they were going to take the belt from him and put it on me. And when I got there, um, everything had changed and man, there was a real weird feeling going on. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? You know? And, and they had me not even booked against the artist. And and I was like, what is going on? So then they changed it back. I was, I was wrestling the artist again. And Mike Graham and Terry Taylor told me that uh, Kevin Sullivan had been fired and that Kevin was no longer there. That, uh, Bischoff and Russo were coming back and that Bischoff and Russo had given the word not to let any belts change hands to kind of freeze everything. So thank God to Terry Taylor and Mike Graham, they decided to put me over against Ikea anyways and make it a non-title um, because they were really confident that um, Bischoff and Russo would like me and that they would be able to use me and Chris Candido. They were, they were already thinking me and Chris Candido as a tag team. And, uh, they were also thinking of me as a, as a mini Scott Steiner at the time. Um, and I think maybe Chris Candido was in that too. Like we were going to be these little buffed out, uh, blonde guys that were running around with Scotty Steiner. I don't know exactly what the story was, but, um, anyways, I ended up getting, uh, getting the match. I, I, I beat Ikea and then I was fired almost immediately after that, uh, by Bischoff and Russo. And then they hired me back about, I don't know, eight months later, um, for that match with Chris Daniels. And that was another tryout. And then that went real well. And so then Chris and I got, got, got hired from that. We got a contract from that. And, uh, and, you know, then, then basically we were told we were just going to stay home until uh, things were settled down because Bischoff was trying to buy the company. Vince came in right underneath, boom, took it. And then from there, I just was cycled out. And, uh, you know, I, I will say this, uh, Johnny Ace kept me, kept me on contract for quite a while. And I was on contract, I believe, for a year until I was finally let go. So... You know, that was, that was at least a nice little severance package that WWE had given me. Well, talk about, um, talk about a roller coaster, that's for sure. Hey, at least you could say that you had a great experience there in the company and definitely had some great matches. And kind of going back now to 98, 
Uh, I just got to throw this one in there, of course. Um, you wrestled against Kurrigan on Shotgun Saturday night. So what, were, what was the difference between the two, in your opinion? Um, what do you mean, the difference between WCW and WWE? Yeah, just your whole vibe of, you know, being there. You know, what, what, what locker room did you kind of enjoy being around the most, and where did you feel more comfortable trying to get a job well, at? Well, I liked both locker rooms at different times, and I hated both locker rooms at different times. Um... There was there was one time, you know, in WCW locker room where I heard some guys bitching about uh, just just ordinary shit, you know, that comes with being in the business, you know, and uh, and I get it. It, it. The travel sucks. And and when you get there and they're rushing you to hurry up and, you know, get dressed for a promo or something, you know, that kind of stuff sucks. I get it. But at the time, I was just kind of like, dude you're getting fucking paid, you know, to be a professional fucking play fighter. Like, are you fucking kidding me? You're getting paid really well. You know, why are you bitching? You know, like I get it. Life sucks sometimes, but you know, you're causing a big fucking scene here in the locker room and everyone's got the same issues, you know, um, being in the WWE locker room during the whole Bret Hart and, uh, Shawn Michaels feud, when you had the Hart Foundation feuding against, you know, uh, Sean and, and uh, Degeneration X, uh, Ramon and all that, man, I'm telling you, that locker room was the tensest locker room I've ever been in. It really felt like people were going to fight at any moment. Um, Ramon threw an apple that was supposed to hit Bret Hart at a point. Um, he walked in, he threw this apple, and then he kind of ducked out. And, um, it hit, I think it was Dustin Rhodes and, uh, you know, Dustin got all pissed off and he was like, you know, who threw that, you know, and it was just, it was just stupid bullshit like that. Uh, uh, Brett hit, I guess, or someone, um, had drawn a picture of Scott Michaels, um, you know, in a sexually compromising position with chalk <laughs> on a chalkboard. Um, you know, it was just stupid shit like that. And then, you know, uh, you know, I've, I mean, I get it, man. I've, I've been there, you know, where I've got problems at home, went through a divorce and all that shit. And, you know, so I get how being on the road and, and, uh, just the grind of it can get to you. But at the same time, I think I always stayed very, uh, humble and, um, you know, happy and gracious for what I was, what I did get in this business, you know. So tell us about, you know, you're in a lot of wrestling documentaries, you're in the infamous uh, movie Beyond the Mat, you're in Ready to Rumble, and the TV special Exposed Pro Wrestling's Greatest Secrets. Now, uh, Beyond the Mat was an amazing movie. Um, I also loved Ready to Rumble. But the whole um, TV special Exposed Pro Wrestling's Greatest Secrets, were you, were you comfortable doing that, you know, especially when it comes to protecting the business and everything? No, I wasn't. Um, so here's what happened. Roland, you know, Roland, the, the part of Roland where he talks about, you know, uh, carnies and being a carny and this and that. Roland, Roland's a bit of a carny. He was a promoter, you know. Um, he, he, his job was to make money as a promoter and keep APW going, and that was his job. So that's what he concentrated on mostly. Well, um, he had presented me, uh, Max Justice, Donovan Morgan, and, uh, gosh, who else was it? 
there was somebody else, I think. Maybe not. Maybe it was just the two of the, the two of them. Um, but anyways, he had approached us about doing this uh, movie, a wrestling movie, and it was tentatively tied titled The Wrestling Movie. We saw the paperwork. Roland actually got paperwork on it from uh, uh, Nash Entertainment. And it was tentatively titled The Wrestling Movie, and it had a script. Um, and it was a Lucha-type uh, movie. It was about a, a masked wrestler who, uh, you know, loved wrestling and this and that, and there were bad guys, and it was a wrestling movie. So Roland presented that to us, and it didn't have, like, it didn't have uh, where like a normal script where it had lines and, and stuff like that. It, the, what we were told is it was going to be a lot of ad lib and, and they were trying to do something kind of new, you know? Well, we go down there and then we find out it's a complete expose. Um, Harley race is there. He tells us what it's about basically. And we're like, well, what are you doing Harley? Like, that's okay with you. And he's like, well, fuck the wrestling business ain't paying me right now. And, and he's like, and people know what the fuck's going on. He's like, so I'm not trying to protect the business. He's like, I'm going to make my money, you know? And, uh, so I was still worried about it because he's Harley race. You know, at the time I was fucking nobody and beyond the mat hadn't even come out, but it was already being filmed. I had already been chosen to be a part of beyond the mat. I already knew that WWE was going to be a part of beyond the mat. Um, so I kind of felt like, well, maybe the beyond the mat thing's going to protect me from this thing. And the, what they had pitched was that everything was going to be done very respectfully. And, um, so, and then at a point there was one day where I, I tried to call Roland and tell Roland what the deal was, but Roland didn't want to talk to me. And Roland knew what the deal was. In my opinion, I think Roland knew it was a, uh, expose. And, um, that's why he wouldn't take my phone call. And he ended up having crash Holly pick up the phone and, I, at the time, Crash wasn't Crash Holly. Uh, he had just done his um, run with ECW and uh, and was, I believe, wrestling in Mexico for WWE. And he was just home for a minute. And I, I might be wrong. I Sometimes I, you know, I've taken a lot of shots to the head. But either way, he happened to be at APW when I called. Crash got on the phone with me. And um, this was when the internet was first really coming, you know, was first really flying out there. And uh, of course, uh, uh, the Wrestling Observer was already being done. I remember when I first got in the industry, I remember uh, guys that I worked with being really pissed off at uh, Dave Meltzer and wanting to kick his ass. And, you know, uh, Dave was getting death threats. So that's what I started with in the industry. And then at this point, um, it was pretty exposed on the, on the internet. I had already seen a wrestling video called pro wrestling secrets exposed. Um, I don't remember the guy, um, gosh, damn, his name is Eddie something. Eddie Watts. Um, no, Eddie, Eddie something. Anyways, he was, he was in the uh, original pro wrestling secrets exposed, which was just two masked men. Um, basically it was done in the eighties and, uh, Eddie Mansfield, Eddie Mansfield. Yes. Eddie Mansfield. So I had already seen the Eddie Mansfield video. Um, back then it was VHS, you know. Um, so I kind of felt like, well, what this is, is rehashing what has already been done. The expose on 2020 had been done. 
Beyond the Mat is being done, and I knew that was an expose, and WWE was in on that. Um, and then talking to Crash, Crash's point of view was all these marks on the internet that are now all smart to the business, they're all talking shit about you because it had, word had already gotten out. So it was already on the internet that I was involved in this thing. And for some reason, Donovan didn't get as much heat, nearly as much heat as I did. Um, in fact, a lot of people don't even know that he was in it. Um, he was Slither. Um, so, but Crash's thing was, what have these marks done where they deserve to be smart to the business? He's like, everybody can just, anybody can get on the fucking computer and go, you know, get the wrestling observer or whatever. So Crash's thing was like, make your money. So I went back to Nash Entertainment and I renegotiated uh, my contract and uh, Max Justice's and Donovan's. I re renegotiated the contract so that we got paid a lot more without Roland's knowledge so that Roland got paid on the 2500 that we were supposed to get paid for the gig. Um, Roland got paid a percentage of that. Um, but uh, we got paid well over that. Because what I told Nash Entertainment is I was just like, well, this is going to really hurt my, you know, my, uh, my chances in the industry, you know, and then sure enough, it, it actually did. Um, when WWE found out that I participated in that as well as beyond the mat, uh, Vince was so pissed about the beyond the mat thing in the first place. Um, he, I think, I think one of the main things that pissed him off was WWE wasn't getting paid for it at all. Uh, plus, I think he felt it painted wrestling in a very negative way, which I don't know if I really share that opinion. Um, I still like the movie. I love the movie I, Beyond I the Mat. You I, know, and I, I don't, I really don't think it painted wrestling in a in a bad way. Uh, Jake the Snake was having troubles at the time, and and God bless him. That movie probably helped him to be where he's at now. Absolutely, you know, which is sober and clean and running a, a school and. Uh, doing what he loves to do, you know, and I shouldn't even say the movie had anything to do with that. I'm going to take that back. Jake, the snake had everything to do with his being sober and clean. And he had a good support system with, with, uh, you know, with guys in the, the business, um, diamond Dallas page, of course, uh, he has done a lot for a lot of the boys. Um, but, uh, you know, so that was the whole thing with, with that, but I, I kind of got off subject. Sorry, brother. No, that's all good. I kind of just wanted to jump more into the whole um, the whole pro wrestling's greatest secrets, more of a statement than a question. I just don't think the production was there in terms of accuracy because it, it, there's many matches and scenarios. Like, I, I remember there was a time where they had no one to fill in in a battle royal. They had absolutely nobody, and I refused because I wasn't trained, but they, the promoter needed an extra body, and it was there would be no main event, and this is what everyone was looking forward to. What am I going to do, right? So right. I, 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 I help because it's just a battle royal. You know, as long as it's not a one-on-one, -on -one, they'll guide you in the ring, help you out. And I'll tell you, it was a lot of fun, but getting thrown in a corner and taking 10 chops and then going into another corner and taking 10 chops and paying your dues and going in there, there's nothing fake about that. My chest was so no. red walking back to the dressing room, but I enjoyed every moment of it. And I think, you know, the documentary didn't cover certain things in the business that, you know, are just some shoot moves. You know, most people that do chops won't go lightly, especially veterans like yourself. Right. So I, right. I, I feel well, like... 
maybe the director should have took a few chops and changed his mind, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and, and we, we did. A lot, a lot of the wrestlers, you know, uh, uh, the Pitbulls, uh, um, Gary, Gary and Anthony. Kerry Brown? Are um, we talking about her? Uh, Anthony's dead now. I'm trying to remember. Uh, gosh, they were in ECW. I oh, th- the Pitbull Gary both- Wolf, I think. Gary Wolf, yeah, yeah. Um, they were there, um, and, and Anthony, his partner, um, they, you know, all of us did our, our part to try to get them to do a real expose. Cause I think, a, I think the reality of, of pro wrestling, what's, what I always tell people when they ask me if it's fake, cause I still get that question and it blows me away when people go, Oh, is, oh, is it fake? I'm like, well, fuck, do you have the internet? Um, but when people ask me, I always say that's not even the interesting question. The interesting question is what's real. Exactly. What what extends people to make wrestling beyond belief? What what makes them wonder? Oh, was this was this really real? You know, more the more moments like that that happen kind of engage a fan's interest in the product. Am I correct? Right. Exactly. Right. And and that's why I think it's better that people know what it is, that it is a, a form, it is an art form. Um, to me, it is a sport for sure. Um, you know, if you're not in shape, if you don't know how to do it, you're going to hurt yourself or hurt somebody. Um, you know, so to me, I've, I, I've always had a lot of respect for it. And, and yet I've always known what I was watching. I, I, I don't ever remember a time. And I, I started rest. I started watching wrestling when I was like four or five and with my uncle, my uncle was my, my bad influence. My dad didn't watch it, but uh, my uncle would, would come over and, and watch it with us, and then I'd go over to his house and watch it. And uh, I always knew that I was watching a form of entertainment. You know, uh, a guy hits the leg drop, his butt doesn't hurt. You know, he misses the leg drop, and all of a sudden the fucking ring becomes like cement and it hurts his ass. You know, uh, there's just, there's just so many things that I would see that that point to it being more entertainment. Um, you know. Uh, a guy's laying there for 10 seconds while the dude climbs up to the top rope to to drop an elbow. The guy hits him with the elbow and then he's able to kick out. Wait a minute. He couldn't even move for 10 whole seconds to to roll out of the way of the elbow, but then he's able to fight out of the elbow. You know, Um, there's just so many things, but it never took away uh, the value uh, that it had to me uh, as an entertainment, and I still watch it today. I'm smart as hell to the business, but I, I still enjoy it. Um, I still enjoy a good promo. Um, I enjoy, uh, okay, so I was watching uh, Impact the other day. Um, it was old Impact, but they had uh, the guy, he's, gosh, I, I can't remember his name, and, and Again, my, my brain sometimes doesn't work real good. I, I want to say James something, but he, he's, James a, he's a manager. He's got the big James guy Mitchell. Brows. No, and and so he's he's got these girls like in his his uh, stable, and then the girls were talking to another girl, and then they 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 transported to another reality, like out into the desert, and then they talked, you know, and and then they transported again once they put their arms all together they transported again back to another reality and those are the things i've never liked about pro wrestling i don't like it when it takes it too far 
Um, to me, that's more like sci-fi, and I, I get it. I get, I get where they're trying to go. Um, I got where uh, Russo was trying to go with RoboCop in WCW. I get it. I don't like it. It's not the product I fell in love with. It's not the product I'll watch. Um, I don't bash anybody for doing that kind of product, uh, making a more cinematic product like Lucha Underground was trying to do. Um, I remember when WCW did the gimmick where Sting was on a boat with Hogan and a midget swam up with a shark fin on his back. A midget swam up to the boat. He put uh, dynamite on the boat, on the outside of the boat, and then he swam away. And then, thank God, Hogan and Sting happened to get off of the boat before it blew up, you know. And uh, thank God no one was arrested for attempted murder for that or anything like that. Stuff like that is just so ridiculous. No, absolutely. and, And so it takes me out of the realm of believability. What I like to do, I like to watch a really good wrestling match, and I can still do this with, with uh, um, let's just say, uh, Steamboat and Savage, okay, from WrestleMania. I've watched that match so many times, and yet, every time I watch it, my heart starts to flutter, I start to get excited, I become a fan. They pull me in, and I forget that what I'm watching is fake. I'll tell you someone else else who does that. Donnie Wahlberg. I was just talking to Tony Jones the other day about this shooter, Tony Jones, who I had my tryout with and be on the mat. Um, Whenever I see a Donnie Wahlberg fucking movie, there is a point very quick in the film that I forget that I'm watching Donnie Wahlberg and the Wahlbergs and and the owner of a fast food chain and, and a big singer star and all that i get pulled into the movie and and i i thoroughly enjoy his films and and a good wrestler does the same thing you know um you don't need to have uh the silly the silly angles just have real life angles arn anderson and uh, uh sid got into an actual fight with scissors and and there there was police called and they could do an angle like that 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 would actually come off as real if it if you didn't have uh, the cameraman all conveniently there. If you know, like there are ways to pull people back in. I'll tell you a perfect thing, okay? So one time Roland Alexander and I had a great idea. We had these two wrestlers at APW that kind of weren't doing anything. They were both on a hold pattern, but they're both decent wrestlers. One was Boom Boom Kamini, and the other one was uh, Kwame Kamozi. Kwame was really good on the on the stick. He could work a mic really, really well. And Boom Boom was stiff. He didn't have a, a huge uh, repertoire, but he was a good, solid wrestler, and what he did, he did well. And so Roland and I decided, hey, let's, let's make these guys hot. Let's do something with these guys. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk to just them because they hate each other for real. They do. These two guys did not like each other. So we're going to talk to just them and we're going to let them have an actual fight during one of our shows in the middle of a match. We're not going to let anyone know, not security, none of the boys, 
certainly none of the fucking fans or, or, you know, camera guys. No one fucking knows. Just me, Roland, and the two of them. So during a match, it was me and Crash Holly versus Brown Bomber. No, I'm sorry. It was me and Steve Rosano, Gigolo Steve Rosano versus Crash Holly, who at the time was the Leprechaun, and the Brown Bomber, Robert Thompson. And we're wrestling this tag match, and it just so happened that the two of them started fighting out to the crowd because they started the fight in, in the hallway. Basically, Roland was between the two of them and said, guys, go at it. And they just started fucking fighting. And knowing that they had to get out to the crowd, so it was a little bit worked where the hallway was concerned, but they were hitting each other with good shots. By the time they came out to the crowd, they were both bleeding. Um, and then they fought. They fought like, like they were fucking trying to hurt each other without trying to hurt each other because they were happy. They were both getting the push. And then at the same time, they were both happy to slap and punch each other in the face. And, you know, uh, everyone, everyone thought it was legit. And when they had a, a, a rematch, we were sold out. It was this tiny little garage, but people were it was standing room only, you know. And so there's things you can do to fool everybody. And you have to be creative as, as a, a, a writer and as, as someone who's, uh, you know, I know they don't call it booking anymore so much, but a booker or a writer, you've got to be creative, you know, and you can still get the story told that you want to tell, you know. And that kind of leads you to your uh, career in pro wrestling, Noah. You had a great time in Japan. Personally, it's a dream for me to go there as well as many other aspiring referees, journalists, and pro wrestlers. But when you came onto the scene in Pro Wrestling Noah, you know, you had a lot of matches. I'm just taking a look right here. 2001, 45 matches. 2002, 88. 2003, 85. 2004, 52. And 2005, 61. So to have all those matches all in Japan for one promotion and making a big name for yourself up there in one of the top companies or the second top, what, what's it like for you, you know, just to go to Japan and uh, take in more miles? Well, I'm going to tell you, man... Uh... I can't say enough good things about Pro Wrestling Noah and all of the guys that I worked with there. Um, to have Misawa come uh, to the United States and come to APW and pull talent from APW was just huge because I was a massive Tiger Mask fan and uh, just a huge fan of Mitsuharu Misawa's and also Kobashi, Tawe. Uh, you know, all these guys that wrestled in Noah, I was very familiar with them. I was a mark for these guys. I was a fan of, of their work. And so when I went there and I got to work with, you know, little Kenta and Marfuji and, uh, it, it was so, so huge, man. Uh, Kanemaru, uh, Kanemaru, um, he's the one that I took the uh, GHC junior heavyweight championship from, um, it was it was a dream come true. I remember uh, it was my my probably like my third or fourth tour. I remember sitting up at the top of a big show, and I went to the balcony seats after my match. Like I, I think I was like first or second match, and then right after the match, I, I grabbed a beer um, and a dip, and I ran up to the top of the arena, and I watched the entire card, and I. I said a prayer and I said a, a prayer of thanks 
that uh, I was there. I would have paid as a fan. I would have paid for a plane ticket and a ticket. If I had that kind of money, I would have done that to, to, to watch these guys live. And, but I, I didn't, I, I never had that kind of money. And then to have Noah bring me in as a talent and to be able to watch um, that caliber of wrestling live um, as, as like one of the team, one of the crew was uh, just one of the biggest honors I've ever had um, in my entire life. Uh, it was something else. Absolutely, and then that kind of transitioned to a, a career as a promoter. Uh, you worked with your friend Donovan Morgan and formed Pro Wrestling Iron. Now, this is this is the elite of the business, I feel. This is second from being a booker or a writer, being a promoter, because you have to you have to buy insurance. I don't know if it's uh, mandatory uh, where you are in California, where you, where you are right now, but if you have to run a show here in Winnipeg, it's mandatory that you get insurance for your venue, otherwise there's no show, and sometimes that insurance goes from 700 to 1400 So being a promoter is really tough doing that on a consistent basis. How did you just figure out the kinks and get Pro Wrestling Iron together? Well, um, there's no state. State, state Athletic Commission doesn't have, uh, you know, a run over pro wrestling anymore in California. Oh, really? But, but most buildings do require insurance. Um, you know, you still have all of those other things. Like, we still had to get insurance for every show. Um, you know, you have to have uh, police at certain venues. You have to have fire fighters, you have to have paramedics at certain venues. It's mostly uh, uh, up to the venue, but you always have to carry insurance. You, you still have you still have a lot of those expenses here in California, um, and especially if you want to protect yourself. So if you're trying to do anything legitimate, you're trying to do it the right way, um, you know, you, you definitely have those costs. So we had those costs. Um, it, was, it was interesting. What started Pro Wrestling Iron was our connection with Noah. When Donovan and I had mentioned to a few of the Japanese guys, have they ever wrestled in, in the United States? And they, they said no, but that was their dream. You know, a, lot of these, a lot of the guys over there, it was their dream to wrestle in the United States. And so Donovan and I, we started kind of thinking about you know doing that. But that happened after um, King of the Indies, Roland had brought in uh, Daniel Bryan, uh, Brian Danielson, and uh, gosh, who else was it? Uh, Spanky. And uh, he had brought in both of those guys for the King of the Indies, and then he had offered them Donovan's job uh, behind Donovan's back as head, head camp instructor of APW. And Roland and I had had a falling out as well. And uh, so I think Roland wanted to get rid of Donovan because uh, he felt that Donovan still had allegiance to me. So that's basically what happened. And then Donovan, you know, when that happened, Donovan was like, yeah, let's, let's start our own fucking company. So then we started, uh, you know, pro wrestling iron. And it was, you know, at, at, at first it was like mainly to have a place for us to train and, you know, uh, start a school and, and, and kind of do that. And, and then we started really thinking about bringing in the Noah talent. And we were able to, with the help of Noah, do that. 
Unfortunately for us, that's kind of what screwed us over too, because once we did that, other companies like Ring of Honor, they thought that we had done that on our own, our own dime. But Noah had paid for that, basically. And the reason Noah had paid for that is because Noah wanted to develop a relationship where companies would bring them out and pay gobs of money to their talent to wrestle over here. And so it was a good business move on Noah's part. So Noah helped us out on, I believe, two shows, bringing talent out. Then they developed a relationship with Ring of Honor, and Ring of Honor started paying them huge money to come out and wrestle one time, a couple times. And then Noah started bringing in Ring of Honor talent, and then that kind of was the end of Donovan and I going out there. Because Donovan and I were getting paid very, very well. We, we negotiated a very good uh, weekly amount. Um, the Ring of Honor guys were getting paid a lot less than us. So I don't, uh, I, I've never blamed Noah for not bringing us out anymore and for uh, you know, ending that relationship. Um, they were getting fantastic talent from ROH for pennies on the dollar. They were going out there for 750 a week. I was getting paid $3,500 a week. That's insane. Yeah. $3,500 a week. I was getting paid 3500 a week. Well, you know, if you could say and, that... And I'm going to tell, tell you even more so, that's not even good money because the guys in uh, uh, New Japan, they, they're getting paid... You know, $3,500, $5,000 a match. Oh, my. So, because I, I would wonder, like, you know, Samoa Joe, he would come out there. He'd be out there for, like, four shows. He'd be out there for a week and a half, you know. But he'd go home with a, a fat paycheck, you know, just as much as I was making out for being out there for a whole month, you know. Well, you know, looking back at that, you know, making a well over 150 grand a year doing what you love in this business. So you, do you have any like uh, regrets looking back or anything you could have done differently? Or are you kind of happy with the way, pan, the way things panned out? Um, it's, it's funny because the whole time I was in Noah, the business was really at a kind of a, a lull. And um, I tried to help a lot of my friends get, get gigs there. Um, one guy that I, I tried three times to get hired by Noah um, was Chris Daniels. For some reason, they didn't want him because he had worked as Currymon for another company. And it pissed me off because Chris is one of the most talented wrestlers I've ever been in the ring with. Um, and he's one of the most talented wrestlers I think that there's ever been. Uh, his ability to call spots and remember things in the ring is amazing. I used to mess mess with him because, you know, we'd talk over a match and he'd always add like, like pages, you know? And so I would act like I had an imaginary book and I would flip through the pages of the imaginary book and pull an imaginary pin out of my ear. And I'd be like, okay, so hold on, Chris, I had you at page 102 but you lost me at page 104 and 105, 106. And he'd be oh, modest, why the heat, why the heat? And I never had heat with that guy. I've always loved him very, very much. And uh, I was just talking to Scoot Andrews the other day, 
And I was like, man, I just, I, it, it impresses me so much. I watch Chris and not only is Chris still doing it, but he hasn't missed a beat, man. Although he does walk with a cane when he comes out. So <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> uh, but he's, he's an amazing performer, man. You know, when I worked with a veteran on the Northern Death Tour, wrestled three uh, years less than you have, 26 years in the business. I, I believe you've been 29 years in the business, right? Um, actually, you know, it's, so I started doing my own backyard promotion where we rented a ring from Jerry Monty. I started doing that when I was 16. And I did that for about a year. And when I was 17, I started wrestling with Jerry Monty. I was 18 when I debuted with WWE against Coco Beware. And uh, Coco Beware beat me. Uh, I was, you know, I was just a jobber. And uh, I was I was 18 when that happened. So if, if you want to say I was 18 when I started the business, because that was my first real payday with a major company. But I was I was wrestling with Jerry Monty when I was 17. So. Yeah, I don't know. Kind of it's up in the around, air a little bit. Been around 30, 30 years. That's quite a long time in the professional wrestling business. And why I asked that question is because when I worked with Massive Damage, who was that 26-year uh, vet, he told me that his favorite part of the business after wrestling was just to train and watch guys develop. And you see people make mistakes, but see them, you know, just smile and rise to the occasion at the end and see them become stars and, you know, see, get them to work their way to work matches in the ring after training for a year. So I know you've trained as well for FSW there in Vegas as well and from some ultimate... Some other promotions too, sorry. What's it like just being a trainer and, you know, switching the cap on now being a mentor, basically? Well, you know, I've always loved training, and uh, Roland hired me on as, as a uh, assistant trainer and then head trainer of APW um, early on in my training. I trained with, with Rick for privately uh, before APW even opened. So I trained with Rick for like three months privately, and then I was Rick's assistant trainer. And it was funny because a lot of times Rick would, would train, would teach us something, and I would just watch Rick do it, and then I would be doing it for the first time, you know, and, and you know, trying to emulate exactly what Rick did, you know. Um, but so I've been, I've been a trainer pretty much my entire career. Um, what got me burnt out on training was FSW. Um, so I was a part owner in that company, and when I left, they said I still am, but I, I haven't seen any checks or any uh, company statements, so <laughs> I'm kind of thinking that they forgot that. But uh, <laughs> but I still have love for those guys, a, a lot of love for uh, uh, FSW, um, Joe DeFalco and, and, uh, and Rocky T out there. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I love those guys, but... It was actually not them. It was the, the boys that actually broke my fucking heart. So I, we had a good crew of guys that we were training, and everyone in the industry saw that FSW was drawing. We started drawing really good houses at these casinos at Samstown and, and uh, other casinos that we were running. And, you know, the business is a very copycat kind of industry. So within a very short time, uh, a lot of people in that area were trying to copy what we were doing. And there was a guy that had a little money 
and he basically had a, a secret meeting with a bunch of our guys and a bunch of our guys that I trained um, agreed to be a part of his company and this and that. And they were, they were leaving our company, you know, and uh, they had, they had multiple reasons why they were doing it and this and that. And, you know, uh, I've always believed that uh, you don't work for who you train for, you know, they're, they don't have you under contract at the same time. You don't work for a company that's in the same fucking town as them. So I didn't have a problem with our guys going outside of Las Vegas and wrestling anywhere, but I did have an issue with our guys leaving our company and going to wrestle for a company that uh, was trying to put us out of business basically. So that broke my heart, you know, cause I, I develop a real bond with my students. I, 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 I not one of those people that can keep it completely business. And I, I love and push for the guys I train. I want them to succeed in the worst way. Um, I want them to have the same experiences and dreams, uh, that I've had fulfilled from this industry. Um, I, I want them to experience those things. And so I put a lot of heart into my guys. And so that, that, that really hurt me. And that probably more than anything is what made me want to just leave, uh, leave Vegas. And, uh, also my, my dad had suffered a stroke. And, uh, so there was a lot of things that wanted me, you know, I, it was, it was just time for me to be out of Vegas. Um, but FSW, uh, you know, now you see a lot of companies, uh, going to Vegas and, running shows in, in Vegas, uh, you know, so, but I think FSW kind of was the first, was, was the company that got everybody to pay attention to that again. Before FSW, it was uh, a guy named Buffalo Jim ran, uh, AWA, um, ran some AWA matches at the, the showboat, I think. And, uh, and then he had his own little company going in, in Vegas and stuff, but, other than that, Vegas was kind of a dead zone for w, for for wrestling. WWE even didn't even go there very often uh, because the, uh, the competition for entertainment there is is so fierce, you know. Oh, I could imagine, you know, Winnipeg wrestling. You know, there there it's usually more laid back now. Multiple workers work for multiple promotions, but. Uh, the early days of me working for Andrew Shellcross and Premier Championship Wrestling, some guy he'd get really mad if other guys worked for other Winnipeg promotions, and I can understand that. Is because you're an independent contractor, and a promoter takes time and effort to invest in you, not just your character, right. but your future with the company and how you get better. So, some in some ways, you know, it's changed now locally, but in some other places like Vegas, it's very insulting to just step away from someone who gave you ever taught you everything they know and then you just fuck off and go somewhere else and work for another promoter. I don't I don't really think that's right ultimately. I think you and, know, and, and you do it behind the person's back. Yeah, just ask. That's what I've done. Like if it's, I dude when when Roland when Roland and Rick wanted to pull me away from Jerry Monty, I told Jerry, I said, Hey man, um, you know, these guys want to train me, blah blah blah. Um, you know, I feel like I've got a really good opportunity here. And Jerry said, fuck off, you motherfucker. Wow. And, man, it, it broke my heart. But within a couple of years, me and Jerry were on speaking terms again. We were friends again. Jerry was pushing for me with WWE. He got me a few tryouts with uh, 
um, Chief J. Strongbow was his connection with WWE at the time. And so Jerry got me quite a few tryouts with WWE. And, uh, you know, so, but if I had done it behind Jerry's back, he'd have never forgiven me. Oh, of course not. You know, um, and, you know, I told Jerry, I said, I'll still work for you and everything. I tried to make it okay, you know, and, and in the end, I, you know, everything was, was okay, but it was because I was straight. I don't mind somebody doing what they think is best for their career. Um, when you come to me as a man, you act like a grown up, and you come to me and you say, hey, man to man, I need to make this move because this guy's offering me money. He, I think this is a really good spot for me, Mike. Um, you know, I, I respect you, and that's why I'm talking to you. I, I got no problem with you then. But when you act like a little bitch and you do it behind my back, I, I've got no love for you. You know, I really don't. Um, the latest guy I've been pushing, the, the last guy that I trained at FSW, um, I wasn't his sole trainer, but I, I, I worked with him a bit, is Kevin Cross, uh, Killer Cross. Oh, he's great. And, uh, oh, he's fantastic, man. He's, he's just fantastic. Um, also, Phil Baroni, um, you know, the MMA star, Phil Baroni, which I'm surprised Impact hasn't picked him up yet because I think he'd whoop uh, Shamrock's ass. I really do. I think Phil Baroni would whoop Shamrock's ass. That'd be a good angle so, in Impact. I could have just pictured uh, it. would be amazing, that's for sure. No doubt. Yeah, and, and I think the issue here in Winnipeg, it gets a little worse, and this is where you're going to be introduced to Winnipeg Wrestling because imagine this now. You train somebody, but they don't finish your class because they didn't have what it took to be a wrestler, and then they work with another local company making 20 bucks a match when you could have made 100 bucks a match given you completed your training. What are your thoughts on that crap? Well, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of that has to do with, uh, with, with the whole social, social internet thing, the, the Facebook and stuff. I think as long as someone has three or four people telling them they're a star and, and, oh, I think you're amazing, you're a great pro wrestler, then in their minds that's good enough, you know, and uh, they just don't have the patience to actually train. At APW, I'm not joking, we, we work with you for a minimum, minimum of three months before you got to take one bump in the ring. We had amateur mats that we would lay out, and everything was done amateur. You know, uh, when you were in the ring, it was amateur, amateur wrestling, amateur wrestling, amateur wrestling. Guys got so bored that we had a lot of guys. They'd just be like, oh, my God, I thought I was going to be a pro wrestler. I'm, I'm doing this the same shit I did in high school. But Rick wanted to make sure that if you call yourself a pro wrestler, that you know how to do a few basic, you know, amateur moves. You know, you better know how to do a sit-out and a ride. You know, you better know how to turn a guy over with a – a half Nelson or a three quarter Nelson, you know. Uh, so um, that was the APW way. You know, we we worked with you a long time before you even got to take a bump. See, that's the way I'd be most comfortable with because all those amateur wrestling styles like Greco Roman, Catches Catch, all that stuff, 
you know, it all blends into what professional wrestling is and the dissection of it. You know, all those moves are variations. Some of them are variations of amateur moves. Some are not. So things that, you know, learning mat work and all that is so important in the beginning because it's all about chemistry. And if you don't know mat works and the simple basics, you're not going to be able to have chemistry and build psychology, I feel, because you're not confident enough. Anyways, uh, so far, this has actually been one of the, my favorite interviews here on Jordan Garber now. It looks like we pretty much covered everything. What, do you, which, what, what are you up to in the future, um, Michael? Well, you know, I took a couple of years off, actually about a year off. Uh, my dad died a year ago, and man, it knocked my dick in the dirt, dude. It really my did. Condolences. And it just took all the drive out of me. And, um, you know, so I, I pretty much just stopped taking bookings. I had a few people hit me up and I just, I'm just, I just wasn't interested. And, uh, but since this whole COVID thing and, and also just having some time to heal, um, you know, I, I do think I want to get back in the ring a little bit because I, I never officially retired because I hate people that say they retired and they get back into the business. So I, I never said I retired or anything like that, but I, I have actually been getting back in shape. I do want to get back in the ring a little bit. There's a few things I want to do. Um, you know, to quote uh, Goldberg, I think I have one more ass whooping left in me, you know? So, uh, I, I think I'm going to get back into it. Um, I've been doing a lot of acting. Uh, the last thing I did was just a, a small part, uh, on a Netflix show called 13 reasons why oh, okay. I'm on the second season, uh, episodes 11 and 12. Um, just a bit part. I play a cop. Um, so, you know, I've been doing a few things here and there. Uh, I just did a Japanese TV show, uh, where I was the starring role. Um, but I haven't seen the product yet. I'm trying to find it and, uh, haven't been able to find it. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm keeping busy, man. Mostly I bartend, uh, bartend at the Diggins in Weaverville, California, it's a fantastic bar, and if you're a wrestling fan traveling through California, Northern Cali, and uh, you're cruising through, man, stop at the diggings, and I might be bartending, and I'll serve you one. Oh, sounds like a plan. Hey, one day if I one day get to referee in California, that will be my first stop, I'll tell you that. Right on, man. And, and you know, there's there's a lot of referees, like um, even, even uh, Tom Castor in WWE, I had a little something to do with training him as well. And uh, so, you know talk about a guy you should you should friend him on on facebook um talk about a guy that is one of the best uh referees um he worked with a guy named max marquez and max is a little known apw legend he was the first real uh apw referee and uh still got a lot of love for that guy and um so yeah man good luck with your career brother well, once again, Michael Modest, I really appreciate you having uh, having us on. Well, us having you on, I should say. And uh, is there any social media you want to plug for the fans out there? Yeah, uh, you know, follow me on Instagram, uh, Michael. I think it's Michael Modest three. Um, hit me up on Facebook. Uh, follow my fan page, please, Michael Modest. Um, follow my fan page. I'm, I'm still. I'm not very tech savvy. Uh, my girlfriend is, but she does her own thing, and, and uh, so she rarely has time to help me. Um, so I'm still trying to figure all all this stuff out. So I, I don't even know how, when I when I post something, I don't even know how to post it directly to my fan page. I usually uh, post things on my profile, 
and not my fan page, but uh, please go and like my fan page for me, Michael Modest. And uh, what else am I on? I think that's about it. Right on. Well, none other than Michael Modest on Jordan Garber now. Thank you very much, sir. It was a pleasure. Right on, man. Thanks.